Hello, this is Steve Goldsmith, Professor of Urban Affairs at Harvard's Kennedy School, and you're listening to Data Smart City Pod, where we bring on top innovators and experts to discuss the future of cities and how to become data smart. Uh, this is Steve Goldsmith, Professor of Urban Policy at Harvard's Kennedy School with uh, another podcast on public policy, particularly public policy driven by the use of geographic information systems and spatial analytics. Today, I'm with Scott Barnwell, who's the Manager of Business and Public Technologies for the City of Asheville, and Christian Watts is in charge of GIS. Uh, welcome, and thanks for joining me. Great to be here. Scott, let's just uh, quickly do a little background. Where were you before you came to the city? And tell me about your agency, and then we'll move over to Kristen. So I am also a GIS professional by background and was working for a GIS consulting firm for uh, quite a few years, working mostly for government agencies before coming to Asheville. And my intent coming here was to kind of settle into one place where I could focus on problem solving and not bounce around to different agencies. And then in your current agency, is Kristen part of your agency or is she in a different agency? No, Kristen is our GIS manager. We both work within the IT services department for the city. So it's a centralized GIS program with some decentralized staff throughout the organization as well. Okay, so Kristen, a little bit about your background and tell us why you're better at GIS than Scott is or how <laughs> you want to introduce yourself. <laughs> Well, my background is I've actually been working for the city for, for me a long time, coming up on 16 years, but 10 of those years were in our parks and recreation department, running our outdoor programs, which I dearly miss, but I really do love working in GIS. And actually, Scott is a wonderful um, mentor and really has given us a, you know, a lot of freedom to pursue like this kind of equity and inclusion work using GIS. Good, thanks. Well, so let's start um, generally on the subject of kind of the role of GIS in the Asheville Racial Equity Initiative. You're, uh, you're a lead city and paying attention to those issues and GIS is a leading component of that. So um, I don't know who to start with first. Kristen, let me start with you and then go back to Scott. So just uh, generally, um, it's interesting, I think, how GIS particularly as connected to story maps, can create a narrative which will help create both support and insight. So talk to us a little bit about the role of GIS in the broader racial equity initiative in Asheville, please. Sure. Well, I think that GIS plays a really large role because location plays a large role. Where people lived has a lot to do with how they were able to thrive in our society. And I know that because of systemic racism in local government and federal government, people couldn't live certain places in Asheville. There were covenants and because of redlining. And because of this historical like location-based racism, we've had to like learn this history and share this history. And I think GIS is a, a really great way and the tools that we have to make change. First, kind of making awareness and then using GIS to um, develop better policies and make better decisions. Scott, how do you think about making uh, the GIS tools more broadly, maybe available is the right word, but are utilized by other agencies, right? So it's one thing that Kristen and you are really smart with these tools, but 
they add power when other people can layer data and see th things that affect their departments. How, how are you trying to cause that to occur? If the, the goal is to improve racial equity and there are biases everywhere, obviously in every city. So how do you think about GIS as kind of opening up folks' eyes across a larger uh, horizon? Well, I think the work that Kristen's led with the story maps, particularly the mapping racial equity story map, that was the first big one, was just instrumental in providing background and providing knowledge that many of us, including myself, a white person, uh, was ignorant of, quite frankly. And the ignorance was just so, and, and was and is, incredibly profound. I'm looking out my window of my office right now at Charlotte Street in Asheville, North Carolina. It used to be Valley Street. I, I looked at this street for years, never realizing until that story map came out and learning the history that Valley Street was a center of a vibrant African-American community that was stripped away. And, and it's now a five lane highway, essentially dry, riding through town. It wasn't that long ago that that happened. And if it wasn't for that story map, I, maybe I would have learned about this some other way, but that made it so visual and so approachable that it was easy to learn and easy to understand. And that tool has become something that has been used by folks throughout the community, other agencies, other groups, but also just the general public. And then, and then others across the country who've looked at that and said, wow, we could do something similar and, and map our racial equity history uh, and understand it. So it's one thing to use map, one important thing to use maps to open up folks' eyes to prior uh, discrimination or important legacy issues. It's another to try to use it to fashion remedies to those problems. And I was noticing your capital improvements plan appears to be utilizing GIS to uh, help make decisions that compensate for some of those past practices. Could either one of you kind of start explaining those uh, to our listeners, please? Sure. Well, we're, I will say that we're starting to use okay. um, equity as part of our analysis for prioritizing projects, as well as looking at where is our capital spending going and um, using GIS to figure out who is living where we're doing these projects, whether it be a sidewalk or caving, where money is going and who is benefiting um, and using like an equity lens when making those decisions. So this is a new process, but um, I think that we have a lot of power behind it. And Scott, how does the community participate if you are developing a capital plan and you want to look at previous decisions and priorities how are you using those maps, story maps, and tools to involve the community? So a big part of it is community engagement. And, and the primary tool that we focus on is the Government Alliance on Race, Race and Equity, GARE, their racial equity toolkit, which is just a series of questions, which is largely focused around community engagement. So like our capital project staff will go to a neighborhood meeting, for example, and will bring the GIS tools with them to show the history of what's taken place in their neighborhood, how redlining, if it, if it has had an impact, what that impact has been. And also look at where we've made investments over time. So we've got those capital projects mapped out. We can see where the infrastructure is and we can see where infrastructure is lacking. And we can ask the questions that come from the racial equity toolkit, like 
who's going to get impacted by this? Who's going to get impacted negatively? Who's going to get impacted positively? Uh, what if we did nothing? You know, just basic questions and let the community weigh in. Um, but but the GIS is just a is a key component to sort of informing that conversation and informing that engagement. And then does the capital uh, planning team draft uh, ideas that the community can react to? I mean, you could map obviously where dollars are going to be invested and you also could map where there has been disinvestment perhaps based on racial purposes so how do you think about maps equity and capital spending as it relates to kind of the problems of the past well i think we can uh, with like asset management we can look at how our assets such as you know streets and sidewalks um, their condition and do an assessment and using equity data. Um, but then I think something really powerful is like how we move forward and prioritize. And this summer we worked on an analysis where we used um, BIPOC population, like black and indigenous people of color. And we used the percentage of BIPOC people living in neighborhoods to prioritize those projects. We wanted to make sure that that was part of the prior, the criteria for um, raising the level of prioritization. Um, you know, one one additional area closely connected to uh, capital planning, but different, is that uh, of course over the years, including in uh, in your city, uh, redlining's had a very very severe effect on communities of color. How are you addressing? with mapping and part of your racial and equity initiative, the uh, mitigation of some of the problems driven by redlining? Well, I think a big part of it is just bringing that into the conversation in the first place, right? Uh -huh. So it wasn't until the last few years that the redlined areas of Asheville were common knowledge. I don't even know if it's still common knowledge, but it's becoming more common knowledge because every single capital project every single significant project the city undertakes, we overlay redlining and we look at, you know, is this, does this project impact an area that's been historically uh, marginalized or historically, what's the word I'm looking for, not invested in, you know, disinvested. Disinvestment, right. Yeah. So I think just even having that data, it's, it's, it's really basic, but it's, it's, uh, it's super important in terms of informing those conversations. If you were to take your experiences on GIS, and your uh, important work now on equity, what are the two or three organizational things you'd recommend to other cities, right? How, how would you think they should first tell the story? What are the areas they should pay attention to where GIS can uh, open up much more insight into equity? Well, I think making data available for the decision makers has been really helpful for us. Like right off the bat we just tried to get as much um, demographic information like what parts of town are there less english speakers like where things are happening getting that information available and easily accessible was a really good way to start helping people who are making decisions another another area that is helpful is if a community or a city or a county or whatever has has a team like we were really fortunate to have a powerhouse of an office of equity and inclusion and they would come to us with ideas they would actually help drive a lot of the work that we were doing 
And they also provided really critical education and uh, a degree of making us comfortable with being uncomfortable. So like, we don't have a trouble anymore talking about things like white supremacy. I mean, Kristen and I are both white. We don't have any problem, whereas maybe a few years ago, that would have felt really uncomfortable. And now it's just part of our conversation. So I think if you've got those folks in your community or in your city, take advantage of their expertise and, and just approach the whole thing with a deep sense of humility because we have so much to learn, especially as white folks, um, I, I would just add that. So yeah, tap into those resources. Yeah, I'll add that Scott is my supervisor and from the from the start of having equity and inclusion office, he's been telling us all like equity is it's not just that office's work, it's all of our work to do this. That's a great that's a great conclusion. And then I assume when when your city leadership goes out to do community meetings, their uh, their visuals include the maps that show some of the things we've talked about, right? So that there's a constant use of visual images of the data of, of Asheville. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Let me just kind of close here. Uh, we are uh, quite interested in uh, advanced work that Asheville has done dealing with its own racial history, but also looking forward. The fact that you use facial analytics and GIS tools to help paint a picture for engagement to address or redress the problems of the past should be an example to many of our listeners in the cities who pay attention. We have an article up on our site. Thank you so much to Kristen Watts and Scott Barnwell for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please visit us at datasmartcities.org or follow us at datasmartcities on Twitter. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was produced by Betsy Gardner and hosted by me, Steve Goldsmith. We're proud to serve as a central resource for cities interested in the intersection of government, data, and innovation. Thanks for listening.